welcome to this week's Raw podcast brought to you by the Southern Echo team. I am Richard Minnie. I'm joined this week by Mark Donnelly and James Copley to discuss all the big talking points from the Stadium of Light and what a week it has been. Um, Phil Smith's having a couple of days off pre-Christmas, uh, although I was going to say before the Christmas busy period, but obviously Sun's next three fixtures have already been postponed after the five positive cases in total now of uh, COVID-19 at the Academy of Light, as has been well documented, and we'll come to that for sure in a couple of minutes or so. Um, but I just wanted to kick off on a slightly positive front, um, on the just on the back of the Lincoln City game last weekend. Obviously, a uh, good 4-0 away win. Mark, you were down at, at the game. Um, I'll come to you in a second just for your, your thoughts on that, but real shame now that Sunderland had a lengthy break between the next game, which will be accurately Stanley away on the 29th, and obviously by that point... You would imagine they'd have dropped obviously further down the table, have not played for three games or so, and there could be a sizable points gap by then. But um, but you never know. We hope not. But um, but yeah, Mark, what what was the game at Lincoln like, and did you see a lot of signs of encouragement under Lee Johnson moving forward? Yeah, it was a little bit of a strange game because Sunderland very feasibly could have found themselves behind quite early on because there was a couple of really good Brennan Johnson chances for Lincoln on the counter attack, which Lee Bird did really well to you know force him wide and and make the angle as difficult as possible for him. But having ridden that, Sunderland were as good as we've seen, potentially even during their time in League One going forward. They were pretty ruthless on the break. They were on the front foot. They were dynamic. They were really genuinely entertaining to watch. And that's not something we've been able to say for large parts of the last year, I'd say. They were very, very good to watch, exciting um, and clinical. You know, there was it wasn't like they were you know, missing four chances, scoring one. They were very, very clinical when the, the opportunities came up. Um, you know, some really, really good uh, striker's instinct from Charlie White for his two goals. Not maybe the, the prettiest goal, the first one, but a very, very good instinct to get onto that kind of little knockdown and, and score. And then the second one was a, a really good counter-attack, the ball from Tom Flanagan to Chris Maguire and then him getting in, into that uh, that Pomo area that Lee Johnson uh, so loves. Um Obviously, Jack Diamond's goal was was superb. A really, again, a really good break. Good work from Aidan McGeady, who wasn't perhaps at his dazzling best, but was certainly brought something to the side in terms of that little bit of creativity and that little bit of class and little bit of composure that they've maybe lacked at times this year. Um, you know, he drove them forward, found Jack Diamond, and it looked like he'd taken it on too far, and then curled it in, which was a, a fantastic, fantastic strike. And the first goal obviously came through him winning a penalty as well, which Gwent Ledbetter, as he has done so reliably this season, uh, converted. So a really, really encouraging afternoon for Sunderland. Um, a performance that if Sunderland can replicate on a regular basis, should see them up there come the end of the season. You know, the difficulty will be, and we saw this on Tuesday night, that that kind of performance perhaps isn't conducive to when a team comes and sits in and, and aims to frustrate Lincoln perhaps unsurprisingly with the results they've had, the personnel they've got and where they are in the league were quite open. They wanted to get it Sunderland when they could and that obviously then gave Sunderland a little bit of space to pick them off on the counter-attack and on the transition. But, you know, the key now for Lee Johnson is building on that performance and trying to apply those same characteristics and that same approach to games that maybe aren't so open and the games where they're going to have to try and break down the opposition because that's what we've seen they've struggled with over the last six months and that now is the, the puzzle for him. That brings an end to this week's Raw podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, I wanted a short and snappy answer, Mark. How are you doing? That was very comprehensive. Thank you very much. Um, so that's a 
a positive start to the week. Obviously, last weekend there was those fresh reports that um, someone were on the brink of administration and things like that. Um, some comments that were allegedly made by Stuart Donald at an EFL meeting. Um, Bill Smith spoke to Jim Rodwell at the game and he was quick to clarify that that um, certainly isn't, isn't you know, Sunderland uh, in a reasonable financial position um, as, as things go. But obviously, the owners, I think, were having a couple of losses of a million pounds a month, weren't they? So, um, We'll see how things develop on that front, but certainly administration is not on the card. So I think that puts Sunderland's fans' minds at, uh, at ease a little bit, although obviously it's a precarious situation for a lot of clubs at the minute with the COVID situation and no fans and obviously the takeover situations ongoing at Sunderland. And I think we would all agree that that needs to be resolved as quickly as possible and uh, and everything that comes with that. But yeah, we shall wait and see whether there's any update on that before Christmas or not. Um, I suspect not, but you never know. Um, so yeah, thanks for that, Mark. Yeah, last week was a, certainly a good good 4-0 win away at Lincoln City. Um, following that, obviously, there's been the, the huge news this week that there was a COVID-19 outbreak at the club. Um, one positive test after Sunday, after the players developed symptoms on the Sunday, um, which then led to seven others isolating and a total of eight missing the one-all draw with Wimbledon. Um, the kind of reasons for and against from the club and also the EFL have been well documented this week. Um, what's our sort of view on on whether the game should have gone ahead at all? Um, seems like a difficult situation that some under many clubs have, have been in, that there isn't that clear clarity from the EFL in terms of what the actual sanctions might be, because obviously there's a lot of and investigations ongoing at several clubs at the minute who have called off clubs, so there's no kind of president at the minute. But equally, um, you know, should the AFL just have a clear if X amount of players are missing, then the game's automatically postponed? What's our what's our thoughts, James? I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's a classic case of a bit of a, a farce on both sides, to be honest. I find the AFL protocol interesting. I think possibly the protocol as it is allows clubs maybe to act in their own interests when and not that I'm accusing Sunderland of doing that but when it's a matter of health a matter of public health the authority should probably take the decision out of the club's hands I would say um, so I, I didn't really understand that um, and I think it's, it's, it's just madness that the, the decision's been made to postpone the next three when surely that signals to all that the game against Wimbledon shouldn't have gone ahead if the next three are off. It, it just makes absolutely no sense. And obviously the Academy of Light's going to be hunted down. So you're looking at a, um, you're looking at a situation where Sunderland have played a team who are going to go back down to London where seven members of Sunderland's squad have had to isolate. And is that going to have an effect? We don't know. It's all speculation. But in terms of, you know, track and tracing and, and self-isolating and everything we've been taught about the coronavirus, it's not a good look for, for all involved, I don't think. Yeah, it's one of them. I, mean, I don't think anyone comes out with particularly well. Uh, I mean, obviously, those seven or eight players that weren't involved Tuesday, you know, obviously weren't at the game or the stadium and stuff, but equally, when you've got that amount of squad members or employees that have, you know, are self-isolating, then, yeah, should should the game have gone ahead at all? In hindsight, I think most people would agree, probably not. And if there's another one-all draw and two more points missed, but equally, I suppose, some felt like they could also field a strong strong enough team to win the game but I suppose health's got to come first hasn't it ultimately um, and why take any additional risks and stuff but as I say Lee Johnson and Jim Rodwell have both outlined the club's strong views against the EFL and and their reasons uh, Mark what was your what was your sort of take on the, the whole week that's been 
Yeah, I think you've pretty much summed it up with the the fact that no one comes out of it particularly covered in glory. I think from an EFL perspective, there should be a a more robust and a more clear um, plan in place for when this happens because Sunderland aren't the first team this has happened to and nor will they be the last. Um, you know, as, as this virus continues to spread through society, there's going to be other games called off because of this. So I think, you know, even if it's just a simple case of, you know, if you re- if a player in your first team squad returns a positive test, your game is off and your, you know, any games within that 10 day period are off or that 14 day period are off. That just seems a very common sense approach an approach that will be very easy to implement, very easy to police and would give clubs a little bit of clarity. But unfortunately, we don't have anything like that. As you say, the EFLs said to Sunderland, you have to let us know you can't fulfil the fixture and then we'll do our investigation. Sunderland's question was, well, what would the investigation lead to? And they could give no clarity on that because they've got several investigations going on at the moment that obviously have had no response. But you look up to Scotland where some of their investigations have come to a response and teams that haven't fulfilled fixtures have ended up losing points. So immediately, you you know, you start to think that. And it's a difficult position for Sunderland to be put into because you shouldn't have to have that debate um, about, you know, sporting sanctions versus health and safety. So I think, you know, hopefully this is something that both sides can learn from. Because as I say, I don't think Sunderland are completely kind of out of the woods on this. But from an EFL perspective, I think there does need to be a lot more clearer guidance in terms of what, would happen if you postpone a game and maybe just that baseline very simple rule in place that would give clubs that kind of assurance that you know if they decide to call a game off on the grounds of health and safety because they've had a positive case they won't be punished yeah and I suppose especially at this time of year when there are so many games although I know it's been Saturday Tuesday Saturday for a long time but like this particular congested fixture schedule with a festive period is you know, if the training ground has to shut for 10 days, which it has on the back of Public Health England advice, then you're then going to get a high number of games that are then having to be called off as well, aren't you? So, And there's no guarantee, I suppose, beyond that, is there? That they'll absolutely be playing the Accurately Stanley game either. Nobody can, nobody could guarantee that at the minute, I wouldn't have thought. So, um, so yeah, we uh, we wish everyone involved um, a speedy recovery, those that are affected, and um, and we'll see what the EFL investigation brings because obviously, as you say, that that will now take place as with every club that goes through this. Um, in terms of Sunderland missing the three games, and I'm not never a big fan of Sunderland having plenty of games in hand because I just don't. Ah, you just constantly putting adding more pressure on yourself, aren't you? Um, how do we think that's going to pan out? Then obviously, the, we do play Hull on Boxing Day, so at least Hull will only have two games on them. But um, in terms of the rest of the league table, it could look pretty bleak, couldn't it, before the Ackham stand again in terms of position and points. Yeah, it could. And I think Sunderland potentially had a, you know, look, there's no easy games in League One. We've learned that over the last two and a half years, but potentially had a slightly more fortunate festive period than than some other clubs. Uh, Shrewsbury obviously had hit a little bit of form and beat Lincoln in midweek. Blackpool, you're kind of never sure what you're going to get with them. They're a little bit hit and miss. Hull was obviously going to be a tough game. But there were some, you know, certainly some winnable fixtures before this point, which obviously Sunderland haven't won in terms of Burton and Wigan. And there was there's some winnable fixtures towards the end of the uh, month as well. You look at the Northampton game and things like that. So, in a way, you know, it could potentially be a little bit of a good thing if they get a little bit of a rest out of this Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday before those Akron and Northampton games that you would think are potentially winnable. But it's a little bit of a disappointment that they've not been able to get into these fixtures, especially after you know a disappointing result against Wimbledon, albeit with the circumstances on on Tuesday night. I'm sure the first thing people would have wanted was to get back on the pitch, but. Yeah, we're not a huge, you know, um, 
fans of games in hand, as we've seen the last few years. That first season in League One, it was a big thing, wasn't it? Because of the, the John's EFL trophy, whatever it was called that season. Progression and international call-ups suddenly seemed to have this huge bank of games in hand that then April, May time just completely caught up with them and didn't have the effect anyone wanted. So I think everyone's always a little bit sceptical about that. You would hope maybe with this slightly deeper squad they've got this year, that there might not be that much burnout towards the end of the season if they're able to rotate things a little bit more. But I think if you ask any manager, they'd, they'd pick points on the board over games in hand. So from that respect, it probably is a little bit disappointing. Could have been an advantage, James, given how relentless the schedule has been, to have a bit of a 10-day break and then come back all guns blazing away at the mighty Akron Stanley? Uh, possibly. Maybe if you look at Willis and, and Gooch, the players that are injured, they have a bit more time to... To recover, obviously, Gooch came back in against AFC Wimbledon um, I mean, that in, the, wasn't in the second half. That wasn't great either, was it, the other night? The fact that no, no. players were nowhere near fit and shouldn't have been yeah. near the squad normally. And obviously, a couple of players that played for 23s the day before and stuff. It was, uh, yeah, there were kind of wider issues as well, <laughs> aside from the, just... The yeah, game. 100%. So you had, um, you had sort of Gooch playing essentially with an injury, as, as Lee Johnson confirmed it, or, or recovering from an injury. So there is scope for those players to recover in that period, but then you're sort of asking yourself, those players recover, but then they've also got to play these three games at some point in what is a pretty relentless run of fixtures in League One, sort of playing midweek and then the weekend, where these fixtures got to go. Mark might know a bit more on the scheduling side of things, whether... They'll play FA Cup weekends, but you do wonder if that backlog of fixtures will catch up with Sunderland like it did that first season in League One. And Sunderland aren't performing, you know, much better than that first season in League One up until this point and are quite far down the table. So mentally, you wonder if, if it's going to give that side too much of a mountain to climb. Um, on, the other, on the flip side of that, although they're not able to train together at the moment and we don't know when they'll be when they'll be back it gives Lee Johnson time to sort of take stock of a couple of problems maybe develop some plans um, really have a think I'm sure he would have done all these things already but now he has almost sort of like a, a mini lockdown for himself and his players to sort of maybe get into a few of them mentally um, I was saying to Mark, Mark before the call he strikes me as a sort of manager that's going to have you know virtual powerpoints and present presentations ready for them full of you know um, Bob Alley references and Pomo references and, and all of that sort of stuff. So it may be that in this period he sort of communicates to the squad off the training field what he expects of them and, and how he expects them to perform. Because we know football is a lot to do with your mind as well in any top-class sport. So yeah, it's a... t- taking positives from it, he might be able to... Um, well, I, th- I think he probably will be able to get into the players in that sense, but it's it's just concerning that Sunderland are going to have such a backlog of fixtures when they do return. I know, I know you've done a piece earlier in the week, Mark, you sort of touched on this, but obviously the players are now going to have to train independently at home, similar to what they were doing, I guess, end of March, April, uh, May time, earlier in the season. So, you know, it's something that they're used to, I suppose, and it is only a 10-day period, I suppose, at the end of the day, so they're not going to lose too much, other. we hope, in terms of fitness and things like that. Um but yeah, it's just another challenge. I wonder what Lee Johnson thinks. He's been at Sunderland just over a week and we've already had the Dion Sanderson incident when he was obviously cup-tied and shouldn't have been involved. Um, COVID, um, talk administration, which was obviously shot down quite quickly, but still. And yeah, just a real mixed bag of results as well <laughs> so far. So welcome to Weirside, Lee Johnson. It is never, ever dull. Um, 
just finally, I guess, just sort of touching on the some of the younger players that played Mark the other night. Um, good to see a couple of them giving a, a chance. They must have been very surprised come Monday morning or Tuesday, whenever it was, that they thought, bloody hell, I might get on here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for someone like Mitch Curry, who played, you know, the majority of the game against Norwich under-23s on Monday, scored twice, probably would have hoped he'd have caught the eye of Lee Johnson, but maybe not as quickly as it all all transpired. Um you know, obviously, you know, there's no hiding from the fact that likes of him, Oliver Younger, etc., were, were there out of necessity. Um, but I think what we've seen this season is that that under-23 crop is, is a lot closer to the level they need to be at. Um, I mean, Oliver Younger, I thought, was, was excellent in that Papa John's game against Fleetwood and unfortunately got injured, so it's nice to see him back. Mitch Curry's obviously really set up the mantle after Benji Kimioka's injury and kind of established himself as that number nine in the under-23 setup and that's seven goals in 10 games now, which is, you know, a good record at any level and he'll be full of confidence. So I'm sure he'll have relished getting that chance. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see that happen. And it's something that, you know, Christian Speakman's spoken about a lot since his arrivals, creating that pathway and making sure it's not too easy, but at the same time, making sure it's not too hard and just little moments like that, you know, Mitch Curry getting his debut and those players being in and around the first team squad is a real, a real boost for them and a real boost for the whole academy and it gives everyone that little bit of hope that they could be next and gives them something to aim for and you know makes that pathway realistic and hopefully you know obviously once a lot of these players return and we're, we're back hopefully for that Accrington game I'm sure it will be a lot more senior of a Sunderland squad but hopefully those young players don't have the door you know completely closed and that little passage of the first team still there because I think it's something everyone everyone likes to see. Just finally for you James are you pleased to see um, Aidan McGeady back amongst it? Yeah, I am, especially after his uh, his performance against Lincoln. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. As Mark said, not you know as dazzling as he can be, but he created the goal for Diamond and energetic and and has that bit of quality as well. So I'm definitely pleased, and I I really like Lee Johnson's handling of the situation. Just came straight in and went right, you know, clean slate. You're starting. None of this, you know, listening to what other managers had to say about him or any of the sort of historical things that have gone on or not gone on or any of the talk, it was, right, everyone has a, a clean break. And that's kind of typified by him keeping faith with Diamond for the um, for the, the Lincoln game and the Wimbledon game. He's been rewarded for that. Um, and it's nice to see that everybody's on a, a level playing field. You know, there's no sort of reputations. Everybody can be, everybody can be selected. And obviously, the, the, the Mitch Curry thing is a consequence of COVID, but there's going to be under 23s players looking at that, as you say, Rich, thinking we can get in here and we can, we can get a chance. And then that sort of is brilliant, but that shows in, uh, throws into sharp contrast the, the players that Sunderland have lost for me over the years as well, like Luca Stevenson, Sam Greenwood, Hugo, yeah, yeah. uh, Barley Mumbram. So now we've got this, you know, this progressive manager who has an eye on youth, and then we've got Speakman, who's a uh, are supposed to be a good academy manager with an eye at looking at building, you're starting to think, well, a lot of really, really solid building blocks have, have been lost, which is a massive shame. But to the future, I suppose. Good stuff. Thank you both. Um, and just obviously finally today, it's been confirmed that unsurprisingly, the North East will remain in tier three. So Sunderland fans will obviously have, obviously have to wait a little longer before they can get into the Stadium of Light. Um, although obviously the next couple of games at home, at home games at least against uh, Blackpool and Hull had already been postponed. So generally the first is next week on that. So we'll wait and see what that brings. And uh, if and when Sunderland fans do actually manage to get back in this season. Fingers crossed at some point. But um, 
yeah, that's a whole other issue for the club as well to, to come to terms with in terms of the season tickets and, and all those kind of things. But uh, that is for another day. Um, thank you very much for your time, Mark and James. Um, thanks for listening to this week's Raw podcast. Please consider a subscription to the Sun and Echo Sport Football Package. Um, as you know, we endeavour to bring you the best coverage of the club. So um, full day on the website. If you to sign up to our newsletter as well. Just needs an email address. Details for that are on the website as well. Uh, and we look to push out our newsletter every day, sort of bet- between half four and five, Monday to Friday, with the latest Sunday news, plus an exclusive Bill Smith column every Thursday, although not today because he's on holiday. Um, so, yeah, thanks all. And just in case we don't do another Raw podcast, just like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs>